Show me the money. Welcome to the MoneyWeb Market Commentator Podcast, where leading investment professionals share their investment insights. Your host, Rake van Niekerk. Welcome to my weekly Market Commentator Podcast, where I pick the brains of the Chief Investment Officers of South Africa's leading asset managers. So we discuss their perceptions of the market, their investment strategies, and probably more importantly, which shares and assets are they buying and selling. My guest today is uh, Patrice Rousseau. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Ashburton Investments. He has been in the asset management business for more than 20 years. Uh, prior to Ashburton, he was the Head of Equities at Sunlum Investment Managers for 14 years. And prior to that, he was at Old Mutual Asset Management for six years. Patrice, thank you so much for joining me. You joined Ashburton as the uh, investment head in March last year, just prior to the pretty aggressive market correction we saw, and then the quite impressive subsequent rebound. It must have been a pretty interesting 18 months or so for you there at Ashburton. Yeah, um Thanks very much, uh, Ray, and just my greetings to your listeners. Yes, it's been a baptism of fire for me, but we've learned a lot through the process. I think really when you want to get onto the field of play, maybe sometimes it's good to get into the toughest games first to see you know, whether you're up to the task. And, and I'm quite glad looking back at how the team and the portfolios have done that we've come out broadly with flying colors, which is quite reassuring for me. You've just said you've learned a lot, but I think many asset managers uh, would look at what has happened over the past 18 months, actually over the past two years or so, and, and, and scratch their head here because it seems as if the investment theory has changed. We are in a environment with very high liquidity, very low interest rates. Did you discuss maybe a, a change in your investment strategy to adopt to this new environment? Look, I think where you're very right is in this world, you have to be fleet-footed. You have to be very pragmatic. And what we learned in the last year is really how global central banks are the real drivers of financial markets. And what we've seen in the last year is one of the strongest rallies in risky assets globally that we've seen on record. Basically, global equities and commodities have done in one year what is expected over a period of two years post an economic slump. So that was the pace of the recovery is what surprised us and also the extent of the central bank action in terms of quantitative easing also surprised us. And then obviously what was very unpredictable, right, is the whole reopening of the global economy, which um, with vaccine rollout is probably again was something which was ahead of what most people predicted. You just said the, the pace of the recovery was uh, surprising and the market did in one year what uh, you uh, would have expected in two. So how do you approach it now? Do you change the approach or do you just see this maybe as part of uh, a volatile cycle? Yeah, I think volatility is definitely here for us to stay. If, if I look back at the type of recovery we saw from the JSE, I mean, just from the massive sell-off that we had uh, last year in March, initially it was quite clear that the move cyclical sectors led the rally. So we had close to five months where resources were leading the JSE 
and it was quite clear the direction of where this recovery was going into. If you now look back to this current calendar year, it's almost like every month we've had a different sector leading the charge. So it's been like a race where, between resources, financial and industrials, each taking leadership each calendar month, which for me is an example of the volatility we're likely to see increasingly going forward. Market is more uncertain. The market can't predict who the winners or losers will be. The general macro theme, which meant that the whole world went in one direction, is likely to be a a little bit more choppy, which means, in my view, that stock picking and being more judicious when it comes to investment is going to be more important going forward than just getting the broad macro direction right. Absolutely. It is a stock picking or pickers market. But we've seen a significant recovery last year and and this year as well. When do you think we will move from a recovery phase into a type of a bull market phase? Yeah, it's quite interesting that everyone is looking to a small town in Wyoming Jackson Hole for what the clever people at at the Fed driving policy are going to say. I think one of the big um, factors now driving financial markets will be what I call really like the direction of the three T's. So it's tapering, whether we're going to have a tantrum and whether the move of the Fed will be well telegraphed to the market. So really, I, I see two broad scenarios. If the noise out of Jackson Hole is quite measured and dovish, you might find that markets keep creeping higher and and a lot of the the more bearish type of investors get flushed out of the market. If the noise is that the Fed is likely to taper earlier, then we might have very much a 2013 uh, type of volatility. But we don't think that's the base case scenario. I spoke to Carl Leinberger of Coronation last week, and, and he made an interesting point. He said there's a lot of noise in the market, and you need to look for signals to try and uh, gauge where the market is going and, and not to take too much notice of noise in the market. But, it, of course, it's difficult to identify a signal within such a, a noisy environment. What signals are you looking for to try and ascertain where things are going? Yeah, I mean, the first signal amongst the noise is definitely what the direction of of the Fed. And and we're watching the dot plot very carefully. That's one. The other thing we're really watching is globally the rate of vaccination and how the new Delta variant is impacting the reopening of global economies. And we're watching the data quite carefully. I think there are signs that inflation might have peaked. We're quite positive that that's not going to make a massive impact, but just bear in mind, so sort of U.S. inflation now at 5% was, is back to what we saw in 2008. So it's a very high level, but we see signs that that level of inflation is starting to roll over. But any signs that inflation in the U.S. and globally is more sticky than we expect might derail this type of tapering that, that we're expecting from the Federal Reserve. Well, the question now is, where is the the most value? Coronation, Alan Gray and 91 have all expressed uh, a pretty bullish sentiment uh, about the local market. And uh, Coronation, for example, is the most exposed to the local market. Uh, It has been in in more than a decade. Uh, Do you share that optimism about the local market? Yeah, I think there is definite value in the local market. We are a little bit more even-handed. We think that 
in a situation that where we see real yields in South Africa close to 4% compared to global real yields in most developed market at minus 2, I think that makes our bond market extremely attractive. So I think within our range of funds, um, those with a high uh, fixed income allocation will do well going forward. The SA equity market is obviously also priced quite well. I mean, they're trading at a quite a large discount to the emerging market peers, which over time hasn't been the case. And obviously, emerging markets are also at a big discount to most developed markets, especially the US. So that's obviously attractive, but I would caution that there's one or two things which one needs to be cautious about. Obviously, there's a whole Chinese situation, which now has led to a bit of a rethink of the China risk in terms of our market. That's obviously NASPERS and process. And then the commodity cycle is still very overextended. So while visually it looks like a number of the stocks are quite cheap, I think there are a lot of risks in the cyclical part of our market and the Chinese exposed part of the market. So if you aggregate uh, resources and NASPERS, that's about half our market, which is exposed to one geography where it's quite clear that the risks there, whether it's uh, economic rollover or it's regulatory interventions are quite high. So we are positive in South Africa, but probably more looking at the SA Inc. financial and industrial parts of the market and being very select elsewhere. You've just referred to several international risks which may impact the local market. Um, but the South African economy and the financial health of the state, our fiscal position, has really deteriorated over the past few years. Uh, in fact, it's at a very, very uh, precarious position at the moment. Some people expect that the fiscal position may worsen. Others say it may stabilize and improve. Having said that, we've seen record high unemployment levels earlier this week. But how does that play into your investment perspectives and valuations? Or do you think the international risks are superior or more relevant than, than those local risks? Um, very good question, Ray. I think the first thing that we look at is always trying to measure what the market participants are discounting versus our expectations. At, at this point in time, if we look at South Africa, you, you're very right. And what we also did is look back to 2013 when we had the taper tantrum and look at how the, the South African economy was positioned there and, and we took quite a knock. So as an example, in 2013, we were sitting with a current account deficit of minus 7% of GDP, whereas now we have a surplus of 5% of GDP. Yes, you are spot on. The debt to GDP ratio is, is very high, but bear in mind with that revision in GDP of, that we've just seen uh, recently, our debt to GDP ratio drops um, from 80 to 70%. Yes, that doesn't change the debt service ratio, but I think, again, optically that looks slightly better. And the rain, which is always an indicator of the health of the country. 2013, when we had the tapering, was at rate rent to the dollar. The long bond was just under seven. Now, you know, the rent at 15. I think a lot is priced in in our market. You are very right that unemployment for us is probably the biggest issue which may lead to instability in the country, especially youth unemployment. That 75% is, is really unacceptable, which leads to this whole issue of can we afford a basic income grant. 
Um, just to bear in mind, the other emerging markets we look at with relatively high unemployment, uh, places like Colombia and Turkey only have a 15% unemployment level. So we really at levels which will have to lead to policy action. But I would say in the very short term, you will find that the optics in South Africa is probably better than the worst expectations. But longer term, we definitely have quite a big structural issue to, that we need to address. I'm looking at the fund fact sheet for your equity fund. It's a 425 million rand fund. And the largest shareholdings, which I can see, I can only see the top 10, includes Naspers, Anglo-American, BHP and Richmond. And those are four very, very big companies earning most of their uh, profits offshore. Do you think that's going to remain a theme where these counters, uh, which are not so exposed to the local market, will attract the, the most interest from investors? Yeah, I think, Greg, it's really a tale of, of two parts. So in many of these big names, while they look like high absolute uh, numbers, we are well below the benchmark. So, so that's the one thing. We've been quite select in our offshore exposure. We've seen value, for instance, in some of the, the a number of the offshore names where um, the market haven't priced in this reopening trade properly. That's one. Locally, we're increasingly finding value in the SA Inc. name, especially in the financial sector. These are in the process of recovering. We're seeing very good numbers. They're resuming dividends, but they're still trading at big discounts to book value compared to what they were at pre-COVID. So it's one of a bubble strategy. So we want to have the very dominant and names overseas and companies which can derive their revenues from a number of geographies. And locally, I think there is definitely a very good value story where a number of counters are trading at attractive valuations. Now, in the top 10, the financial counters are Standard Bank, First Rand, and Sunlum, obviously uh, blue chip companies. But are you currently investing in those or have you already invested and are now waiting for the returns to come? We have been picking them up continuously. So we still think they value even from what you see now. So I think they are definitely on an absolute basis there is value. So we're looking to add to these counters. Let's talk about NASPARS. The AGM took place uh, this week. Um, there were a, very un a lot of unhappiness with the uh, remuneration structure and a few other resolutions also did not get uh, as many votes I think NASPARS would have wanted from their N shareholders. But most of those resolutions were pushed through by their A shareholders, which is a a small you know, group of people and institutions uh, who seems to be in charge of NASPARS. How do you feel about the shareholder structure at NASPARS and the value it creates for shareholders? Yeah, I think that's always been a very controversial topic because so much of the NASPARS share price over the years was dominated by the performance of Tencent. The management has tried the process of restructuring the company to unlock value. That hasn't yet yielded any result. I guess the biggest issue here in terms of the whole incentivization is that the management team should be more, uh, the, the remuneration should be linked more to the non-Tencent part of the portfolio, the unlisted part of the portfolio, which would then give a greater incentive 
to unlock value for the rest of the portfolio. Whereas at the end of the day, the holding in Tencent is, is pretty much a passive holding, which, which the management team cannot really unlock. And, and now they have an agreement not to sell down further. So it's not, it's not an investment which is being actively managed. It's done well in the past. It will not look very good over the current period, given the pullback of the price. But obviously for us, it would have been better to have a direct, more direct line of sight between parts of the portfolio that the management is directly influencing and create additional incentive for management to accelerate the turnaround of many of these high potential but lost making assets in the portfolio. I think many asset managers would agree with you, but why do not more asset managers then go and invest directly into Tencent and bypass Process and Naspers and therefore you have that direct exposure without the the noise surrounding uh, Process and Naspers? Yeah, it's a very good question. I mean, part of the answer there is that our local market is already very exposed to Naspers. So most of the mandates that we have from clients would require us to invest a large portion of, of their, their funds in the local market, which would indirectly give exposure to NASPER. So when we look at the broader investment universe, we prefer to invest outside of China and look at, at, at the broader investment in universe. Otherwise, you're just doubling up on a counter that you can get directly on the JSC. I'm also looking at your global leaders equity fund and the top 10 shareholdings include many of the uh, really uh, blue chip companies, especially in the technology sector. Alphabet is there, Samsung, Adobe, Microsoft, and then Eaton Corporation PLC right at the top, nearly 7% of the holding. Um, I haven't seen that counter being you know, the main shareholding of funds. Tell us about Eaton and, and why you like it so much. Yeah, that's a bit of a gem that the, our team managed by Dr. James Cook in, in Jersey has uncovered. That's a power management company. It provides solutions in various sectors, like if you think of electrical products and systems. And one of the smaller division, but fast growing division is the whole theme of e-mobility that, the, that they got into. So this whole vehicle segment, the market and supply drive trains and powertrain system um, in cars and trucks. So again, it's one counter which was heavily beaten up, but really one which has produced excellent results and numbers. And as you can imagine, as economic activity and mobility comes back strongly, that counter is very poised to benefit. It's done very well for us, and we're quite pleased. It's, as you said, and credit to you for spotting that, it's been a bit of a differentiator for the Global Leaders Fund and done very well for us. Also on the list is AstraZeneca. When did you acquire your stake there? And has it performed since, uh, you know, the, the vaccine race uh, got some momentum? Yeah, um, again, the, the portfolio manager, Dr. James Cook, he's got a, a, a very strong background in the, in the whole medical field. So he's the real expert rather than I am. <laughs> we, we have in the holdings, is, we've got AstraZeneca. We also have Novartis. We also have Johnson & Johnson. I wish I could tell you, Ray, that we had Moderna. I mean, that's Moderna, I think, did 500% over the last year. But we've had these other counters for, for a while now. Just lastly, going forward, where are you actually investing now and are there certain sectors which you are divesting from? Where we're quite positive now, the one area we think 
will do very well going forward and it's a more secular theme is the whole uh, semiconductor market we we own taiwan semiconductors there as you know there's been this global uh, shortage of chips we seeing prices going up and we see continuous demand this this whole g- digital trend is causing a very strong demand for their product and they they quite uniquely positioned whereby they've got a leadership position at the technology advantage which we think is the proper mode for them so we're looking for companies really which um have this this ability to deliver growth um continuously even if you have a situation over the next few years that things will normalize globally it's going to get a little bit tougher but some of these trends will continue so we now being a little bit more cautious and looking at quality shares and that's what especially the you're looking at the global leaders fund that's a fund which focuses on these very globally dominant um mega caps which are likely to do very well in a in a very constrained environment over the next few years. Now that semiconductor market is interesting because uh, there is uh, this international shortage I don't think there are prospects that it will uh, be uh, alleviated in the near future and on the other hand you have big car manufacturers and and manufacturers of electronic goods who are cutting back on production because of this shortage and and it seems to be a, a quite a significant imbalance do you think there are still opportunities to benefit from that imbalance yeah so we, so we do think i mean there's two parts here as you say it's one the supply hasn't kept up with the demand so that's going to come through but more importantly longer term in terms of the type of demand that is coming more broadly from uh, various manufacturers i think those with the technological advantage like the T- TSMC the the Taiwan semiconductors will be able to lead the market there and this is how we really playing the whole digitization theme in our fund interesting times uh, indeed but patrice thank you so much for joining me today that was patrice rousseau chief investment officer at ashburton investments thanks for listening to the money web market commentator podcast where leading investment professionals share their investment insights hosted by Rake Fonica For more MoneyWeb podcasts go to moneyweb.co.za or the app and follow MoneyWeb news for daily updates